Hello and welcome to your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evi Chiori and every week we provide a view on what's beyond the news. There is a turmoil on French politics, with Emmanuel Macron struggling to set a functioning government. We ask if there is a possibility for a coalition and what is the Uberfiles scandal that came to light. But before that, the euro and the dollar have reached parity for the first time in 20 years. The European economy is heading to a deep recession. But what does this mean in practice and how does it affect European citizens? Now you get about $1 if you change uh, one euro for, for dollars. About a year ago, you could get nearly $1.20 uh, for this. So there has been a depreciation of the euro. The fact that it is now one-to-one, the parity thing, this is a symbolic thing. In theory, it doesn't really matter whether you get one to five, one to 20, one to uh, a half. So this is more kind of a symbolic thing. What is important is, is that there has been a devaluation. Janos Allenbach-Aman is your Actives Economy and Jobs Editor. Basically, it means that there is relatively more demand for dollars than for euros. That's why the price has changed. Why is this happening? Uh, what are the reasons? This can have basically two major reasons. One is in the real economy and the other is uh, in the financial markets. Uh, in the real em- economy, the currency changes if exports and imports um, change. So if there is a lot of demand for euro area products, people will have to get euros to buy this stuff, right? So the value of the euro increases. Um, If in turn EU citizens and companies import a lot of stuff from outside the euro area, they have to sell euros to get this other currency and um, this makes the euro drop. Um, Now, what happened in in the past year? So uh, until late spring and early summer 2021, um, euro area imports and exports were rising at about the same rate. Um, But then export growth started falling um, while import growth accelerated. Thus, we have a lot more imports and only a bit more exports. Therefore, the relative demand for euro drops. And why is that? Basically, it's energy prices. Um, So the euro area imports much more energy than it exports. So it's oil, it's gas, all these things. Thus, um, a rise in the price changes the trade balance in and of itself. So it doesn't mean that we have to import much more uh, energy now than we did before, but it's just that the price rises. So to put this in numbers, for from January to April 2021, um, the euro area imported 95.1 billion euros worth of energy. Um, in the same time period, so January to April in 2022, Um, we imported energy worth 233.6 billion. So that's 145% uh, more. Uh, this is an enormous increase. And then the, the other important stories, as I said, is in the financial markets. So uh, the financial markets, the investors, they are realizing that the EU economy, things could get very bad for the EU economy, for the euro area economy, but the EU economy as a whole. So... What they are doing, they want to uh, keep their assets safe, so they sell European assets 
and buy U.S. assets. So on the one hand, that is because the euro area economy is very much exposed to these price changes and uh, to, to the war in Ukraine, to the Russian invasion. Uh, but the other, on the other hand, it's also just that the dollar is the safe asset of the world. Mm -hmm. If there is uncertainty, people go into the U.S. dollar. It's just it, it, the U.S. economy is dominated by the, US, uh, the dollar because it is the most used currency. This has always value the financial markets say. So they go there. And this makes the price um, of the euro drop. Right. But why the dollar, Janos? The US is still the most important economy in this way. The, the US banks are the most important banks. It is the deepest market in financial markets. You will always have demand there. And because everybody believes there is, will always be demand there, They will, they will buy this kind of stuff to have security. And how is this impacting the economies of the European countries and the European citizens? Uh, what advantages and disadvantages are there for the citizens? So as a European citizen, um, if you don't deal a lot uh, in other currencies, if you don't import a lot, you don't travel a lot, this does not make much of a difference directly to you. If, for example, you have some money invested in, in dollar-denominated assets, that's good for you. Um, but if you uh, planned to have a, a holiday um, in the US now, this is going to be nearly 20% more expensive for you. Uh, so, so this is bad. Um, also, if you import stuff from, from, yeah, from other countries, uh, that, yeah, if, if you import stuff from the US, for example, you're, you're just going to have to pay more. And what does it mean for the trade? This is interesting because normally a falling currency is kind of a, an automatic buffer for, for an economy because it makes your exports uh, cheaper again. So um, in theory, if, you're, if your currency drops uh, on the world markets, your products will be cheaper and thus uh, more competitive and thus you can keep your economy running, you can restart it again. Uh, and in turn, this uh, currency gap would, would close again. The problem that we have is that in Europe, these energy prices have risen much, much more than uh, in the rest of the world. So uh, even if you have a, a slight decrease of your prices due to, um, uh, due to the, the falling currency, you are still probably quite expensive. Or you ha still have gigantic costs due to the energy um, energy costs. So uh, if you are an energy intensive producer, uh, this might just be kind of a drop on a hot stone. So it, it might not have that much of a difference. And do you think other uh, currencies will follow this drop? or? So for example, the Polish Zwarty, um it even dropped against the euro. Mm -hmm. So they are dropping even faster. So this is really, it's not a, a thing that It's a an, a euro problem. It is more kind of a, a thing that uh, there is a war going on uh, and there is a lot of uncertainty. Um, we might have a recession and that's why these things happen. It's, it's not some fault of, of the euro itself. The w whole world economy is, is uh, a little bit jittery because of these geopolitical tensions and this leads uh, a lot of people to flee The, some currencies or any currency and go to the um, go to the US dollar. So we might see this shift again, um, but 
yeah, that, that's, that remains to be seen. Thank you, Janos. You're listening to Euractive's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euractive.com slash newsletter. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcasts at euractive.com. Vive la République! Et vive la France! In April 22nd, Macron won the elections in France. However, the country is experiencing a historic political instability, with Macron struggling to form a new government for his second five-year term. We've had a president that was re-elected in quite a historical way back in April, but failed to get an absolute majority a couple of months later back in June. This leads to basically a blockage within the National, the, the national Assembly, with a president that has that is the f- biggest group in parliament but only has a relative majority has no coalition with any other parties and basically struggles or will struggle to pass on any laws Theo Bougerie is Euractiv's reporter on French politics and policies there was a general policy address which is something that a prime minister that has a new government tends to do so the the prime minister will speak to all part to, to all MPs and present the general, uh, uh, I guess, the general roadmap of the government for the years to come. So this Monday, there was a vote of no confidence. What does this mean and why is it important? There is a possibility within the French constitution to call for a vote of confidence. And this time around, because she knew she had a, she wouldn't get a majority of votes, the prime minister, Elisabeth Bonn, refused not to organize this vote of confidence, which was very much within her rights. This led to a vote of no, of no confidence organized by the left-wing coalition NUPES. Um, that vote took place on Monday, failed to go through by, by a wide margin. This was completely expected. It was very, very likely that it would not go through. But what it forced uh, uh, opposition's parties to do is to position themselves with regards to the government. Are you ready to vote against the government, even if the motion comes from the extreme, uh, the extreme left? Or are you, willing, are you wanting not to vote for it, which kind, of makes you, which kind of associates you with the government? And so the message sent was, we, the left-wing coalition, have motioned uh, this vote of no confidence. We are the only ones who voted in favor of it. We are the only true opposition parties. The right-wing and extreme right-wing parties are ready to create some kind of agreement, be it, be it tacit or explicit, with the government, they're not a true opposition. So they want to create this schism where the left-wing coalition versus the rest, which are one and the same, be they extreme right, right, or majority party, government party. Is there a possibility to see a coalition? If yes, which parties could collaborate? And if not, why not? So I think we're at a stage in French politics where if if you if you have any clear idea on what you think will happen next, the likelihood that you get it wrong is so high that you have to be careful. As things stand now, there's no chance for a long for a long term stable coalition. And there are two reasons why I say this. The first thing is that opposition parties were clear they wouldn't strike that uh, what they call government pact deal, 
which is a, a long-term a long-term coalition deal. Um, all opposition parties have made it clear that they wouldn't participate in, in any of that. And the second point is we've seen in the new government that was unveiled last week just how limited the options were of ministers. And actually the ministers that were appointed are all from the closest circles of Macron or within his electoral coalition, but don't go any broader than that, don't go into other parties. So it's very, the, the, the political weight of that government is limited to those that already believed in Macron, if you will, but is definitely, definitely not multi-party. Now, what's going to happen probably is what they call uh, uh, um, basically case-by-case coalition. A few opposition parties have said that on specific instances, on specific issues, they would be willing to, co- to collaborate with the government. Um, so you might expect a sort of ad hoc uh, coalition creation um, on every single file or every single bill that the government wants to see passed. Also, there was a sort of a scandal making it out of the French borders and in the international press, the Uber files. Could you tell us a bit more on that? Uh, why is it important? Why should we care? It's, a, it's an excellent question. And depending on who you ask in France, they will give you a very different answer. And many will tell you that actually we shouldn't care. The Uber files came out last Sunday and basically showed that between 2014 and 2016, when Emmanuel Macron was still Minister of the Economy before becoming president, he perhaps got too close to comfort with uh, Uber representative and at the time Uber president, the Uber president, uh, the the Uber world president. Um, This has basically brought into light questions about the relationship between public and private entities, Uh, what is the fine line between uh, acceptable lobbying and connivance? Um, These are big questions that are being raised again. The answer by the government has been that so far there is no problem because it is the role of the Minister of the Economy to meet all stakeholders, including private stakeholders, including American companies such as Uber. And it's also the role of the Minister of the Economy to push through any reform which might bring up um, employment and or rather lower down uh, unemployment uh, rates. And Uber was seen as this answer to unemployment in the youth population, especially back in 2015, 2016, when it was so high, we've just come out of the economic and, Europe, and, and euro crisis. So the argument is, it's normal because he, Emmanuel Macron uh, met so many stakeholders and Uber was only one of them. On top of that, we brought so many, so many jobs uh, uh, in the country. The flip side to this, which is one actually I'm writing an article about, is that there is still this question of how close to comfort you can get with lobbyists before it becomes just basically a, a, a private company making, making the law uh, and, not, and not MPs. Um, and that fine line, which is more of an ethical one that is, that, than it is a legal one, uh, is, is, is hard to define. And I think this scandal may actually help to define it a little more clearer um, and perhaps even bring some kind of bill to, to control how lobbyists interact with the public sector uh, in, 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 more cu- in a more acute fashion. We might expect this to come through soon. It really seems like Macron is losing some power in uh, national politics. But does this also mean uh, that he is weakened also at any EU level? The reality is that France will still be France. And on top of that, this, this political crisis that 
that that France is going through is unique, is quite unknown, but in in the grand scheme of things, it's it's only been a month or so. And I think we, you know, think back to Germany that can take months before they agree coalition uh, coalition pact. So my understanding, and I wrote a piece a few weeks ago on this for Euractive, is that Macron, especially for, through the first six weeks, six months, sorry, of, of um, 2022, when France was at the presidency of the Council of the European Union, um, showed great, uh, um, really spearheaded European policy, especially with regards to the Ukraine crisis. And that hasn't changed following the elections. It's unlikely that things will change in the near future. It might, it might be a problem in the next year or so, if there's absolutely nothing that changes in the domestic space, that uh, the country still still gets stuck. But so far, I think the aura of the country and the aura of Macron in 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 the EU um, has hardly been challenged and won't be so for a while still. I would say. And how are the citizens uh, viewing all this situation and this instability and the power struggle between the different parties? That's really what it, politics comes down to, doesn't it? What we have to bear in mind is that Macron was not necessarily elected by people who believed in his program. Instead, there was this repeat in between the two rounds of the presidential elections. There was this repeat of 2017 where Macron was facing off the extreme right candidate Marine Le Pen. Um, and I don't think the country is quite ready to see an extreme right wing president, or so they showed that they weren't ready. What happened is that a lot of left wing voters turned to Macron to block Marine Le Pen from getting into power, which doesn't necessarily mean that they agree with Macron's policy. And in fact, a lot of people who voted for Macron do not believe one second in, in, in Macron's policies. But when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, you, you, you choose for the one that's a little, a little less worse than the other, I think was their logic. But ultimately, there is great defiance towards Macron. Um, I think people are tired of a president who they see as holding extremely vertical power and being quite arrogant. He's walking on on, on eggshells and, and the country is not necessarily uh, uh, supporting him and in his favor. Thank you, Theo. I am Evikiori and this was your Active's Beyond the Byline podcast. We're going on holidays, but until we're back, you can visit youractive.com for the latest news. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by me with the help of Janos Allenbach-Aman and Theo Bougerie. Enjoy your summer break and thank you very much for listening.